What's up? What's up, man? You know, just doing some podcasts. This is it. This video February game hour, man. Video game hour. I'm Tavit. I'm Youssef. And uh, yeah, we're we're doing it. Uh, well, we're we're live now, but y'all aren't hearing it live. But mm-hmm. we're doing it live. The magic of the recorded <laughs> medium. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this time around, our episode is going to be about um, Hitman. Just yes. Hitman. The uh, 2016 version of Hitman by IO Interactive. Yep. Uh, and this is the one that was uh, released throughout all four quarters of 2016. The yep. uh, episodic Hitman. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so uh, Yusef, any thoughts to just sort of kick us off? Yeah, I mean, I think the for both of us, we played it after it had come out <laughs> yeah. in all of its episodes, which I think were maybe seven or six. Yeah, seven if you count that like intro mission. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, which was fun. I, mean, I played through that quite a bit. That's probably the one that I <laughs> honestly spent the most time with <laughs> aggregate because I was still yeah. in that like clear every challenge yeah. mental mode. And there are a lot of fun challenge, like, yeah. uh, special kills. In totally. that one. Um, but yeah, so we both played it after it had come out, and that's an interesting experience. It's a little different than, say, you know, a Netflix show or a streaming show where you can kind of binge it all in one sitting. I think Hitman was designed to be... the This version of it was designed to be experienced in the little chunks that they release in a drip-feed manner because the levels are very dense and have a lot... Each map has a lot of different options and ways to explore it. So to some extent, I was almost like overwhelmed with the option, with the choice, oh, and with, with the. Um, gosh, I'm so glad to hear that. Me too, man. <laughs> oh sure, because you want to like spend so much time in each area, yeah. and each map, but but then you're like, well, I gotta see the next one, and I gotta, you know, I gotta make yeah. sure I like keep going. It's you know. so true, man. I kind of felt my. Um, I mean, I love it. I'm, I'm really enjoying the game, mm. uh, but I definitely felt this sense that I'm not supposed to kind of try to play it like I do any other traditional linear triple-a game where like definitely like there was this constant mental tug of war going on where i'd be like oh do i just like fire up the next episode or do i like hunker down in the location i'm in because i'm already i've already got so much momentum and mental like memory of how this level works right now Mm -hmm. so it was constantly this like back and forth of like oh like it's a tuesday night like Mm -hmm. i just got home from work I've got like an hour, perfect game for like shorter burst playthrough mm, anyway. Absolutely. But I was like, do I spend that hour exploring a new area or do I spend it going back to an old area? And it was, I was almost like, weirdly enough to compare it to Netflix again, the analysis paralysis of just like being stuck in the menu <laughs> trying to decide what to watch. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, like Morocco or like, yeah. oh, go back to Paris where I like feel like a hero because I know the ins yeah, and outs yeah, yeah. of that level. You're, you know, you go from being a big fish in a small pond to vice versa. <laughs> The and reason the menu, I've never yeah. finished a Souls game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the menu itself is just like a tantalizing arena of, or a basket of different oh options. Gosh. To You're like, ooh, I could do this, you know, elusive target or this uh, escalation mission or look at that cool next level. And then you could check. And, but I think um, for me, I had to allot a certain amount of time when I started a new level because I knew I would be just walking through and just listening to as many different um, conversations as possible, trying to figure out what was going on, you know, maybe mm-hmm. blunder into some uh, illegal areas just to, even if I was getting caught, I could just run around and see if something was happening there or, like, kind of map out internally, like, the ar- uh, the architecture of the level. Nice. But that takes time. You know, that's, yeah. like, you know, it's really just, like, it really is this planning phase, which is kind of fun. Yeah. It's almost like... Um, what you would be doing in a spy movie with the blueprints and the schematics and yeah. the uh, 
the the insider information you know like not in your base not actually in person <laughs> yeah in, like in the, the location hello hey guys i'm just doing some recon <laughs> and i think weirdly enough that's the thing that kind of kept me from doing exactly the recon mm-hmm. uh playthroughs like i i actually thought every time i was starting a new location i was like I know what I should be doing, mm. and what I should be doing is not trying to beat this mission. Yeah. I should be trying to just break move it. around yeah. and break it. <laughs> yeah. And I just couldn't, somehow, <laughs> this is, says more about me than the game, because the game structure is fantastic. Somehow I could just never bring myself to do that, because I think, you know, so much of traditional linear AAA, it's all about pushing you forward. Uh, what's new? You know, keeping that sort of sense of discovery constantly... Uh, a light in your mind and for me i'd like enter a new location and even when i consciously was like okay i'm gonna like walk around the grounds and see what's up i'd be like oh wait there's my target let me just try to kill him <laughs> yeah. and just like you know there's like gun, nothing pew 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 yeah, no. Exactly. Like, no i just like run away and be like oh there was a second target whoops yeah like and i just totally i fucked that up on my own style of playing but i think honestly just to circle back i think it may have been a very different experience and one that i i think it was actually you know specifically manufactured to do if i had just you know purchased each episode when they came out because like mm. i could really imagine especially during like lulls of of like not great games that might have come out throughout the year to like take a break you know take an episode like spend you know five to seven hours with an episode let it get kind of boring put it away play mm-hmm. some other game mm-hmm. come back a few months later with a new episode yeah you know re-enliven my interest in it and go back and play the other ones that i already had played again but you know now i've got the whole thing sitting on my hard drive <laughs> um and i know i'm gonna keep playing it like i sure i've i've completed all as much of all of the missions as i could uh just for this podcast of course but like i'm nowhere near mastering any of them oh sure so definitely. there's tons of stuff it's like it's, it's kind of amazing that completing the mission feels like easy mode yeah where you're just like oh i did it and then you're like uh and i could go back and then you try and the escalation missions you're like oh no oh, this no. game is much harder than i thought <laughs> it was so bad at this game <laughs> and i love stealth games but yeah. this doesn't feel weirdly enough like a traditional stealth game it feels like an infiltration game mm-hmm. which has elements of stealth of course but mm-hmm. it really felt you know systematically quite different uh, than just the traditional action stealth games that I love to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, uh, but I think it asks of me more than I initially thought that it would. Mm. Like, it asks for more commitment than it lets on because of its episodic nature. You think it's kind of just, like, all short burst and, and like, yeah. really chill. But, like, no, you get underneath the surface of just killing your marks for the first time, and you're like, I am a noob. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea how this level works. Yeah, it's really oh interesting God. because I feel like it's the first time I've seen an episodic experience that wasn't narratively focused. Like mm. before, we had Walking Dead, we yep. had um, Kentucky Route Zero, yep. games that, in some ways, their episodic nature is frustrating because, especially with Kentucky <laughs> like, Route Zero, where you're next? just like, I forget what what happens and oh, have to word, start from yeah. the beginning because it, they come out so far apart from each other. Um, luckily, with Kentucky Route Zero, the narrative is pretty um, abstract, and you don't have to like what happens to this character what happens to that character true, it's a true. lot more about the vignettes of uh kentucky life in this magical realist world and well in walking dead more so you kind of want to play it all in one go or at least in a totally. fairly close together chunk of time and it's, it's i think because it's so narratively reliant it, uh it has you know you you're following a story whereas with hitman 
It's more about exploring mechanics. Yeah. And a toy box. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. There's no fucking plot that matters. There's a plot, but it's not, you know, it's, uh, nothing happens. Yeah, nothing happens. (laughs) It's all set up. (laughs) It's not really the, it's not really even the stories that are, are most carefully told throughout the gameplay experience. I kept finding, like, the stories that were incidentally happening throughout the levels, Mm -hmm. uh, like, with just characters talking to each other, talking about your mark, or even just talking about the environment that you're in. Mm -hmm. Those were way better stories than the story of Agent 47 and, like, his weird brother who's, like, tracking him around the world but not killing him (laughs) even though he has a chance to. Yeah, because he saw him. Yeah, you're like, "Mm, my brother, maybe I won't kill him this time. It just felt, I don't know, like... You know, the, the narrative and the, honestly, even the orchestral flourishes throughout the game made it feel very much like they were moving towards like the James Bond direction they did, uh, yeah. of like fiction, fictive spy world uh, versus just the sort of, I mean, I think I played uh, Absolution, which mm-hmm. is like the first game of this type in the Hitman series, which is like this like big open area, teemingly dense with like people and objects and stuff. It really feels like this game is kind of growing out of the Absolution uh game engine or you know game design document but certainly not the plot like nope. <laughs> absolution was like 47 has feelings yeah emo like, hit why <laughs> like what's yeah. the point yeah. he's just a hitman mm-hmm, exactly. what the fuck i mean i do like that this game plays with his like weird um backstory but without, without actually um getting deep into it it's really just like why is this guy the way he is? And like, I mean, luckily it doesn't try and answer it, yeah. which Absolution did. Yeah, and yeah. that was the mistake. You're like, Why? What are so you I'm, more, I'm hoping that the second season won't try and answer oh, God. that yeah. story because it's just like he works as this like weird alien freak. Um, yeah, he, he is. He's yeah. just kind of a weird alien freak. Yeah, yeah. But I have to say, like, it, it kind of just that we're speaking about the fictive layers of the game. I think that was one of the parts, and we were talking about this uh, mm-hmm. even a few weeks ago. Kind of one of the parts that actually got under my skin i didn't really like it a lot um was the fact that like there were just absolutely no moral grays in the game mm-hmm. like somehow every single mark that you have as your uh assassination target like they're just like the worst people in the world mm-hmm. um and there's absolutely no gray area where you're like maybe i shouldn't have killed that guy mm-hmm. maybe i shouldn't have killed that girl maybe that you know scientist was actually working no like in every single case, I kind of, you know, the first couple of times, it's like, cool, whatever. I'm just like, in this world, my mark happens to be a terrible person. Mm-hmm. But kind of by like the middle, even by Sapienza, I was like, can I like, can we, can we have a conversation as adults, mm-hmm. you and me game? Like, hey game, I'm role playing as pretty much the worst like real world job that exists like Mm. actual wet work does get done Mm -hmm. you know if nowhere else uh more dramatically than vladimir putin's russia where like his opposition just keeps on turning up dead by poison or by fucking you know suspicious crash of some like we know hit hit people exist spies exist and they kill yeah exactly yeah the lol (laughs) yeah the girl boy oh boy um and we know they exist and I know that sometimes they off really good people, mm. you know, under the contracts of really bad people. I just think it was kind of a missed opportunity mm. to give, you know, this weird uh, shell of a character, you know, some sort of moral gray playground or area to play in, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I generally disagree with that mainly because I think it would be a, con- a confusion of tone mm-hmm. if they tried to do that. Because yeah, the game was funny. 
Yeah, it's like it's it was interesting because I just watched. Um, I've been uh, keeping up with the Americans, which is a really good. Um, I think FX. Oh yeah, don't, don't be nail me on that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. Uh, show about um, basically the true story of these Russian spies who lived. I mean, very fictionalized version of these Russian spies who lived in America during the sixties and seventies mm-hmm. and were just like spying, and but also having raising a family and kind of trying to and basically were in every, every respect Americans aside from their spy nature. <laughs> except but, for that yeah, thing. I bring it up because there was this scene. I don't spoil anything about it except that he like chokes this guy, and it's like so brutal because. The way he starts with it is like he's be running up behind him and he just like does the hitman like whoop choke the guy you know and then like you're like okay it's gonna be over but like no the guy is like resisting and he just chokes him for like a full minute on screen Ugh. and the guy is just like just it's so brutal and you can see this zoom in on both their faces and the guy doesn't want to die and he doesn't want to kill him but it's because of the he, he doesn't want his cover blown Dude, you're mother russia and it's just yeah it's just like this like um this imagery of the brutality of of that role and um it's just so distinguished and 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 distinct from something like hitman where you can choke somebody out in a second and throw them in a dumpster and it doesn't matter like they're a doll in your toy box sure um that you sometimes throw in a wood chipper instead of a dumpster sometimes you got throw in a wood wood chipper you know (laughs) if it's available i mean just to problematize it right back no absolutely with the violence right but they do. That's what I'm saying. Well, because, yeah, I like, guess, I mean, it, uh, if it was like, say, or you look like another game like Left 4 Dead. Oh, sure. Where okay. it's like a game that really tries to show you how violent you're being, you know, like with the camera angle and the sound effects and a lot of the cinematic devices they use. So they, so um, you would, I would, I would think, I would, I would argue that Hitman would have to be a completely different game in every respect to then um, bringing these moral gray, grays in terms of like, what you what your character is doing because otherwise you're going to i think confuse the message a bit where you're just like well you know i just dropped a piano on that guy (laughs) but am i the real villain (laughs) (laughs) essentially well said man well said but it does i mean and i think you're absolutely right like i think it does make the game more sort of tonally uh, holistically tonally like even mm-hmm. um but i think it does result in a game that is more looney tunes than absolutely you know it does. americans or spy like anything like it's it's even it's it's kind of outlandish in its cartoonishness which is fun yeah, yeah. and it makes yeah. it a video gamey video game yeah. but you want to explore that kind of that tension of the player doing evil and having to be yeah cognizant i mean all of the villains had really well articulated evils you know, all of my sure. marks were, like, fucking with, like, things that were very much evil by up-to-date standards from, mm. you know, from, like, the sort of uh, non-sanctioned and really troubling-sounding genetic treatments that the last target was getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the really rich dude who was at the Hokkaido, like, you know, institutes, like, taking, like, stem cells from babies and, like, injecting them into his body and shit. And, like, you know, every every mark had these really up-to-date, well-articulated evils from trafficking to, you know, all, all these different terrible things. And I'm just this, like, blank slate character mm-hmm. who's just, like, you know, wistfully moving yeah. through, dropping pianos, dropping yeah. church bells on, using exploding golf balls on. Mm-hmm. Like, all these really, like, hilarious and fun tropes. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't, it really did not detract from the fun of the game. Yeah. Uh, it added to the fun of the game, but it also, a part of my mind, especially in such a beautifully articulated world where each environment was 
about as realistic as you can get Mm -hmm. within the confines of a video game not just aesthetically but like the rules and the gates that they put up in front of you and the social gates they put up in front of you all the cast system all the class system everything that worked in the game was so realistic for the purpose of a fun game and it sort of just left my mind wanting you know some one some two of my targets to be just like genuinely not terrible people Mm. But that's, you know, it's just, that no, was my that's, subjective, that's a fair point, you know, yeah. yeah. It's an interesting uh, demand, and I think that it would be worth exploring for sure. Like, totally. in, a, in even not necessarily in a Hitman game. Yeah, but I think, you know, the, the episodic nature of it, I think the, the sort of, like, uh, the, as we were saying, it sort of, like, lends itself well to these, like, quick burst playthroughs. I know I mentioned this on the last uh, cast, or at least our last stream, it really feels sometimes like uh, when I was playing Hitman, like I was kind of playing like a Tony Hawk game. Mm-hmm. Like it was like this really, um, like each level was its own little skate park, uh, and you kind of learn the skate park. Uh, you get really good at a few baseline tricks, like choking out or like garroting or like, you know, sniping with the fucking, getting really good at shooting with the <laughs> silence pistol, whatever, mm-hmm. or like learning about a chandelier that the target's always going to walk underneath. And from those very basic, you know, ollie and back backspin trick things that you learn early on, you start to unlock the ability to sort of chain these things together and create this really beautiful dance through the environment and through the scripted areas. Uh, that again just made it feel kind of like I was playing like a like a skate game or something like that. Yeah. It's like a vocabulary of violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well said, man. A vocabulary of weird, deadly tricks. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, and it was fun. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's a great kind of like play experience. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to uh, move on to your mm. uh, particular uh, read of the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think for the first time, Yusef uh, suggested that we sort of prepare something quick uh, that will sum up one of the bigger themes that you know, we experienced while we were playing the game. So uh, I'll go first, I yes, guess. Yeah. Please. All right. So I'm going to just read a thing very short that I wrote. Uh, and then, of course, I'd love your perspective or mm. questions on what I was thinking. And, I, you know, for me, uh, my time playing Hitman served as an exploration of the sort of distinctions between a sandbox and a playground. And the sandbox genre of video games, as we know, it's defined as like, it's defined by like the freedoms from traditional structures uh, that a video game usually affords its players. It's like the freedom to go wherever you want, freedom to tackle goals at your leisure, the freedom to define your own play style within the sort of ultimate confines of the game engine. And many critics, uh, we know they've named Hitman as their favorite sandbox game of 2016, and I can totally see why. You know, on the surface, the ability to gain access to various restricted areas uh, of any given map, the ability to carry out your assassination in any order that you choose with whatever tools you can find, um, the ability to find and, uh, and consume tons of like non-critical stories that are littered throughout the environments. It gives that real impression of like a, a rock star, like Grand Theft Auto-ish sandbox experience, albeit on a smaller, more contained set of maps. But the more I played Hitman, the more I realized that it and maybe even other games that bear that title sandbox actually have more in common uh, with the more rigidly structured play styles that are suggested by the architecture of a real world playground and not a sandbox because the sandbox to me was more of the the fluid and shapeless play styles that really can only happen when you're in like a big pile of sand right (laughs) Um, so the playground you know we know it's like built of sections and parts that are highly specialized and suggest definite paths Uh, through and around and usages of it right like a slide um you know there's a million ways to interact with it but there's certainly a best or like a most intended way to use the slide which is even just suggested by its shape uh and any common associations that we have with the object uh 
you know, the angle of the slide, the short rails on either side of the slope, the steps leading up to the plateau, all of that shit comes together to basically say, you, user, you're going to climb the thing, you're going to put your butt down on it, and you're going to push off and slide down, and that is your optimal enjoyment of this object. So, too, in Hitman, there's these clearly designed uh, suggestions of optimal pads, uh, purpose-specific usable objects, and delineations of character identities, which are sort of these like vocation-based keys to areas of the map. I'm going to argue that a true sandbox wouldn't subtly indicate that I should pick up a screwdriver that happens to be in my current path and happens to be right near a surge projector that is in a sort of puddle of inch and a half deep water that happens to be a few steps away from my mark so that I can jury-rig that you know, surge protector so when my mark walks through the puddle, they fry, right? Like, that's not, that just didn't feel like sandbox to me. Now, look, I really enjoyed my first few hours in every single scenario of Hitman, like every level that I, like new level that I tried, uh, because during those initial hours of discovery, each scenario felt really dense and flexible. However, in each case, after clearing a mission, uh, and a few of those earlier associated challenges, a real sense of rigidity would start to set in for me, and I'd start to feel like a kid at the top of the slide, really basically just grappling with my only meaningful choice, which is, like, do I go down on my butt with my feet first, or do I go down on my stomach with my head first, or do I just, like, climb back down <laughs> off the slide <laughs> using the steps? Um, so with that, Hitman made me start to think that perhaps the entire sandbox genre is actually a misnomer, uh, and that maybe that the true form of what we're talking about is that they're actually playground games. Mm. Yeah. Do you think there's a worthy distinction between, uh, though, like, games like GTA, which... Um, or even, I was thinking while you were talking about that, Crackdown. Mm. Because that's a game where there are ostensible uh, goals, but alternately you can just play it as this freewheeling experience where you go around and kick cars across the street. Yeah, totally. And pupper cut pedestrians into the sky. Yeah, I think that when you're sticking to the critical path of Grand Theft Auto, Mm -hmm. or when you're sticking to the critical path of Crackdown, it feels the most like the 90% of playing Hitman, like 90% of the time playing Hitman. Hitman has a rigidity, to me at least, you know, just subjectively, that really is, it's the critical path of those other quote-unquote sandbox games. But with GTA, there's just, there's so much flexibility in the systems that it presents you outside of that standard mission structure that it felt completely more deserving of the sandbox title. Now, Every game is going to have its limits. Like GTA, you can't just decide one day to like create a new <laughs> vocation that's in game, or you can't decide to like wield a car like a baseball bat, like yeah. without modifications. Yeah, no modules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no modules. Yeah. So unless you like mod the game itself, that out of the box they all have their limits. So of course everything on that level is a playground and not a sandbox. It's hard to make a truly limitless video game experience. However. I do think that Hitman is one or two steps more rigid mm. and more structured than um, Grand Theft Auto, if only because, you know, Crackdown or Grand Theft Auto, yes, they have uh, somewhat narrow final goals uh, in terms of the critical path, but really there's hundreds and hundreds of ways to not only reach the critical path, but hundreds and hundreds of ways to divert completely from the critical path. Mm-hmm. And in Hitman, you really can't actually divert that far from mm. the critical path you can only delay or obfuscate or uh, meander your path to it and you'll discover some really fun and flexible ways to get to that end point which is your marks are dead and you've hit an exit yeah but there's really no other way to play that game sure there's no there's nothing you want to be doing it has a narrow-minded focus Mm -hmm. as a game Mm -hmm. 
which I personally really enjoy. I mean, oh, of course. When you purpose yeah. build something, it's going to be way dope yeah. at what it does. Exactly. But then you once know? you, so you're saying once you start um, wondering what else you can do is when you hit the wall. Yeah, what else you can do and even what else you can do uh, within the confines of the critical path. Mm-hmm. Because I would get to a point where, like for example, in uh, Morocco, right, you can gain access to that uh to the what is it the consulate Mm -hmm. there's so many different ways you can go in through the basement you can go in dressed as a high security guard you can hop the fence in the parking or hop the gate in the parking lot you can do a bunch of different things you can go pure stealth where they know you don't belong you can charge in the front if you're really dope at the mechanics of the game and shoot everybody so there's certainly lots of different ways to get around uh and into that area but i noticed by like the fourth or fifth playthrough you know, unless the game was specifically adamantly telling me to do it a specific way that was different than the three or four most comfortable ways that I associated with gaining that access, something just naturally occurs in that game that funnels you towards mm-hmm. a point. Um, and sometimes it's actually the structure of some of the timing of the mission. Now, you know, the game, each mission is kind of a, a beautiful wind-up diorama, and it always starts from the same point. And it always uh, locks off certain opportunities after you've done certain actions. So you're really given in each scenario uh, usually about three or four windows of opportunity that open or close that allow you, the player, to make meaningful choices within them. Mm. So, you know, this happens in the Paris mission. If you choose to do a specific opportunity, it'll lock off the you finding the male model in the helipad and being able to become the mill model path. Like, that will lock off. Sure. That opportunity does not stay available to you throughout the entire timing of that mission. But if you fuck around not making a choice in that first quarter of that level, all of those four or five or six choices that you can make in that first quarter of the level stay open and waiting for you to engage them. Mm. And they'll never progress past that initial... Uh, mise-en-scene mm-hmm. where like they're all just like it's all the actors waiting in position for Absolutely. you yeah. it'll never progress unless you touch it in a very specific way and it has to be in one of those six ways where the game clock doesn't know to let you go to the next sort mm-hmm. of area yeah it's a uh, basically they're operating on a closed loop yeah that you then disrupt exactly when you enter the scene and i yeah. think just like uh, i can't remember who the blogger was i'll have to look it up we'll have to leave it in the description but there was some fantastic uh essay about how the actual experience of living through Bill Murray's experience in Groundhog's Day mm-hmm. would be probably the most soul-crushing, terrible thing ever. And just as his character yeah. does, in some <laughs> yeah. of the loops, he's just like, fuck it, I'm committing suicide. Yes. <laughs> and I think that hit me over and over again where I'm like, none of this matters, man. I'm stuck mm-hmm. in this like inevitable crush of like time and, and consequences. Like, it, I just couldn't... It, it just felt rigid. In Interesting. Time. I mean, it, it's, you know, not to... We have to do it, but I'll go back to the Dark Souls. Do it, baby, do it. Use something Dark Souls. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like you're talking the Groundhog's Day thing, which is yeah. something I always find really fascinating with games. And I think Hitman absolutely does um, owe some homage to that that structure of game design yeah. that you see in Dark Souls, where it's the and Tony Hawk as well, which you brought up. It's the idea of that perfect run of going through a level that is designed for you, that a playground designed for you, that you can then. Um, once you are familiar enough with it, you can beautifully utilize these toys and tools to accomplish your goal in 
the most efficiently possible. I mean, the the golden grail of Hitman is to get that silent assassin oh raiding yeah. uh, with nobody knowing you were there, nobody having spotted you, and no dead bodies found. You're just like in and out like a ghost, mm-hmm. um, and that is like the that's the goal of the game, not necessarily to cause funny havoc. You know, like right. which is like something more like uh, GTA Crackdown or even uh, Dishonored in some ways. Another stealth game I've been playing, which is like you know, you there's a lot more of a of a chaotic element to them where I feel like chaos and hitman is generally bad. Um, it just sure. makes your job much harder. Or <laughs> just ends yeah. the level. You know? like, I mean, like, so you could cause chaos, like in Paris, for example, you can just, you can knock the stage down and yeah. kill your target, which I've done. And it's really fun. But then, uh, for whatever mission I was on, I had to then go down and grab the, um, it was the thing as elusive target, which is the one elusive target I actually succeeded in. Oh, nice was a model i had to drop this drop the stage on him everything went smoothly because i'd done it so many times and that was like groundhog's day working but then the chaos was down there but i had to go to his dead body and pick up like a usb stick he had Ooh, didn't think of that yeah. one did you i was like oh i gotta go do that now and then like there's like guards everywhere so i had to just like i managed to just like sneak in there grab this thing and That's... run away but it was like you don't want to you don't want to be there in the aftermath like yeah. The chaos is like deadly to you because then um, everyone's more alert. You want you want people to be relaxed. You want to get them at their most relaxed. You want to be you, you, you want to get them in their room when they're just relax. They're setting the guards away yeah, so they can the watch a video. So you're, you're the, the masseuse. masseuse. You're the yoga instructor. <laughs> Such that, that that scene in Hokkaido. Yeah, that kill was like both the most creepy. Beautiful and just like poignant. I've, I've not succeeded in it. I've watched really? that one. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, Pulling it off was just like I was like, holy shit! I'm and like just like the the mechani- mechanisms of it, where you're just like, okay, warrior pose two, yeah. warrior pose one. Like that was just like master stroke. There. So dope. And actually, I you, I think you brought up a really cool point, and I want to sort of circle back to it. You brought up this idea of like the aesthetics and the pleasures of of sort of chasing perfection Mm. and i think that you're absolutely right that that the idea of perfection is a system in the game Mm. not one that they program but one that they intended to tickle the sort of minds and 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 motivations of people who are really motivated by this idea of of perfection and i think it, it reminds me constantly and this is just me speaking of myself i don't give a fuck about perfection and in Mm -hmm. fact i think subjectively i'm i'm quite uh i'm quite anemic to and and maybe maybe even afraid sometimes of and this is in my own life not even in my play styles of the idea of chasing perfection and perhaps that's why i don't get into the types of games that are designed towards a perfect run or a perfect Mm. experience i love metal gear stealth because it evolves along with every time you fuck up and the game's curtains don't come dramatically down and say try again and the game does not pepper you with bullets and immediately send you back to the beginning of the simulation. It just says, okay, you fucked up. Now what are you going to do? Mm. And I, I guess I just, and this is me just discovering something about per, potentially my own taste and maybe my own values of life. I like it messy. Mm. I like it dirty. I like it like un, imperfect. And I like it kind of on the run. You know. So in that way, I think that's probably the moments in Hitman where I'm like, and that's enough Hitman for me for the day. Like, where I do... I think it happened for the first time in Morocco, where I had done such a great job of uh, knocking out the banker, and then it was time to go back and find the general, and I, like, was murdering shit. I was doing so well, or vice versa. I had killed one, and I was, like, on hot on the heels of the other, and I just, like, 
I just got a little too comfortable. Mm. I turned a corner with the wrong disguise. Someone was like, hey, dude, hold on. And you're like, no, not now, no. I'm so close. There's, no, there's really no way to, like, not... Okay, I guess I'm getting a fake arrested. Fake, you know, fake give in to an arrest. And the only option I have is to knock a fool yeah. out. And there's already three other dudes watching. Yeah, you're like, no, so this I'm like, not going to go, well. gonna go well. Oh, yeah, I didn't mid-mission save. Mm-hmm. Fucking back to the start with me on this. I'm not You didn't have the auto-save? Nah, nah, nah. Not what? like mid-mission? No, man. Every time I've failed a mission, it yeah. like bumps me all the way back to the beginning. Oh, weird. I wonder if that's like a PC versus console thing. Could be. Like, um, yeah, in my... In, my version of Pitman or whatever, like, there's the... I save scum like a motherfucker. Oh, yeah, I gotta do and, that. Not, um, I gotta do that more. And also, there's... It does automatically save every, like, five or ten minutes. So, it's yeah. like, um... And, but then it staggers it back. So, I could be like, I want to start here, I want to oh, start there. Oh, that's great. And mind you, look, yeah. again, none of this is... No, none I mean, of this is I, me, like, actually... Compl- no, it's totally, one I, of my I, favorite games I, of the year. I 100% get it because it's always a... Conver- it's a conversation I have a lot, especially because I'm such a fan of Dishonored. Yeah, and, totally. And, um... I was, just on, I was just on Media Maven. Shout out to them. Shout out, Media Maven. <laughs> and Pam actually listens to this show. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Hi, Pam. Um, and, yeah, t- and, like, just kind of trying to sell Dishonored in some way. Because, of course, uh, man. Because it is really, like, this game where um, you can you can sabotage your own enjoyment of it be based on your expectations of what you're supposed to do. Well said. So, wow. um, you know, like, there's a way to play the game where you are... Where you get spotted, you're like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna reload a save." Which I've, <laughs> I'm right now. I'm playing a, the, the, I'm trying, I'm trying to do the ghost 100. percent Like, of course ghost, you are. No, you fucking no so ill, dude. And you know, it's hilarious with the no death mode of that game is that not to go on a tangent, go but go, please, please, there please. are rats everywhere, and you can't leave bodies on the floor because the rats will, will likely eat them. And oh, then they, you then, so then like it says, yeah, bodies you have to, on like grab a body, shit. jump up to a ledge, and just like gently lay them because if, if they fall off the ledge and they die. They're just like these fragile little babies that oh you then have to like God. gently lay down. So you really prop- love this game. Yes, you really, I really love this if, game. Because that's, you're babysitting the game at that point. And the game oh, wants sure. you to. Yeah, the game yeah, is yeah. like, hey, listen. Yeah. You're like cradling your enemy <laughs> and laying them perfectly down. And hopefully that the rag the ragdoll doesn't like flop them over the edge of a, of <laughs> and a banister. And floppy as well. They're if super I floppy. One, oh my God. Floppy fucking They're crazy ragdoll. floppy. Um, yeah, so, you, you know, I, I'm going through it right now in a very meticulous and probably for a lot of people not fun way. Not sure. But, um, but like, you can also, it has that uh, that flexibility like Metal Gear where, like, if you get spotted, you can freeze time and run away or, like, kill everybody in the kill room. kill everybody. Yeah. yeah, and then, like, then, then like, okay, next time I'll be stealthy. Kind of, <laughs> like, you know. You, like, you can be stealthy until you're spotted, which is, like, definitely a valid, perfectly valid way to play that game. And, like, to, like, it has to be open to people, even though, like, it sells itself as a stealthy game. I feel like, and then I feel like that then damages it in terms of people's expectations of the game because then they're like, I have to, I can't be spotted. It's like, no, you can be spotted. Like you're just, a, you're a superhero. Like you know, treat it that way. Like you're a stealthy superhero, but if you get spotted, you can kill some fools. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's like, a, but that is like something that, yeah, people, not everyone likes to save scum through games. Totally, and I think you know, just to even, you know, half step back into the sandbox versus playground thing. I think there's enough. Uh, there are enough similarities in format, uh, not in perspective, but in format between Hitman and Dishonored. Mm-hmm. Would you consider, just because we're on the subject, would you consider Dishonored kind of more sandboxy or more playgroundy? Hmm, I would say it's more playgroundy because, um, like Hitman, it has a set of verbs and tools that you can interact with mm-hmm. 
two TV goal. You you are you aren't really you can play around a lot. Like I've, you've seen the videos, like with people do the yes. cool kill runs through it and just like kill people in exciting and fascinating ways. Yeah. But they're still on the way to kill their target. Like you know you you it's you're still a, you are a hitman or an assassin. So it's less like a more open ended GTA or, or uh, crackdown where you're like. You know, for this, I'm not going to do the mission now. I'm just going to like drive really fast and see if I could crash my car into like a bunch of buses and cause an explosion. Yeah, drop, drop a grenade and run away. Yeah, like you're not really ever dropping a grenade and running away. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, like you can do cool things and like uh, the tools you have are very flexible and, and give you a lot of options for approaching a scenario. But the goals are are the same. Yep. Um, and they don't change. So yeah, it's. I think it's more in the class with Hitman, though, with a lot more. Um, flexibility of of mode of approach, I would say. I definitely would agree with that as well. Yeah. The fact that you can, like, you know, I mean, your your traversal abilities are so much greater uh, mechanically mm-hmm. in Dishonored. Though there is something to be said about that sort of cast and key system of the costuming in Hitman. You know, like it really is. I think that's one thing that did a fantastic job as mm-hmm. a franchise, but also as that specific game where you know you. Dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. <laughs> as the old adage goes, Indeed. it's like I want to be inside that you know paramilitary yeah. complex. I'm gonna need a paramilitary yeah. garb. Fuck the man. Like dress, let me go do dress this. for the man you want to kill. Exactly, not, not for the man, man who hired you. <laughs> <laughs> sure, localize yeah. that shit. <laughs> it's really it's fun in a way that stealth games are often fun, which is the idea of like I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> But I'm here anyway. Like especially like in Hokkaido, where like you're just like I'm Mr. Rich, what? Uh, Gaijin, dude. Mr. Rich, <laughs> uh, you know, vacationing, uh, you know, billionaire. Like yeah. and like, except I'm not. I'm gonna fuck up everything here. <laughs> it's yeah. actually funny too because my wife turned to me. She was watching me play Hitman uh-huh. uh, this past week, and she just turned to me. She was like, "Oh, this is your kind of game, isn't it?" She was like, "You love these games where you can just be in a place and you're like." on the razor's edge of like someone's gonna come tap you on the shoulder and tell you you don't belong here like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's your game Tom and I was like oh my god you can read me like a book <laughs> like I just love yeah. being places where I'm not supposed it's to be it's so much fun it is it is yeah really and fun. Hitman absolutely like plays on that by allowing you to hide in plain sight totally yeah it's actually a pretty good segue I it think. is I think that was existential <laughs> but I'll, I'll allow it alright <laughs> Yeah, in the game, you know, you control an assassin who's, you know, able to assimilate flawlessly into your surroundings and mimic various character types in order to take out the target. Um, but it doesn't address the fact that your job is made easier by the fact that he's a white guy. Um, in the first mission, for example, like in Paris, your handler quips, you know, you should have no trouble blending in, Agent 47. <laughs> and it's like almost like on the nose <laughs> about uh, your role in the- <laughs> In the in the mission, but um, but you know, but but the question is, would this be equally true if you were black? Mm. It begs the question of uh, you know, why aren't there more black spies or assassins in media, and whether there even can be? So, in uh, Invisible Man, Ralph Ellison speaks on the invisibility of being black in America. He says, "I am invisible. Understand, simply because people refuse to see me. It is sometimes advantageous advantageous to be unseen, although it is most often rather wearing on the nerves." Black people are invisible to white America until we become hyper-visible, usually through violence, rioting, and protests. Um, So where Agent 47 can can willingly don many disguises, the protagonist of our previous game of the hour, uh, Mafia 3, Lincoln Clay, uh, he only has the one. His invisibility is thrust upon him. The violence Clay commits in his quest for revenge is not seen as a human act, but as a natural disaster. 
He's a boogeyman on the loose. He is witness, but he isn't seen. So Agent 47, he can kill the rock star dressed as a gardener. He can change back into his suit and slip away. He can also don the attire of a male model and walk the catwalk, making himself extra visible in order to better hide. Uh, Clay, on the other hand, uses his... Well, he also actually uses his, his visibility as a tool. Um, you know, he makes his kills gruesome and impossible to ignore. He crucifies his enemies, or he ties them to a cold Civil War statue. <laughs> um, again, this is a form of distraction to make his enemies panicked and careless. But he can't make himself visible in a, homog- in a, in a homogenous white space in, the, in any way that isn't violent, because to white people, he can only be a monster or a servant. Uh, one of the few times Clay dons a disguise is it to infiltrate white society is as a caterer, um, the only role the rich white elite of the town wouldn't blink at. So 47 is a blank slate who can blend in anywhere, but he is only a blank slate because white male experiences are seen as universal. Their identities aren't hitched to stereotypes the same way people of colors are. Until this ignorance is addressed on a cultural level, the concept of a black spy, one who won't be immediately slotted into stereotype and prejudgment, will be an unlikely one, I think. Ooh, <laughs> that's fucking rad, dude. That actually hits me pretty hard, too, because, I mean, I know when we talked last time about Lincoln Clay and about Mafia 3, we brought up the Nation of Islam, uh, and a lot of the reason I was so acutely aware of that was because I started had started reading the autobiography of Malcolm X it was the first time that I read it since high school Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. um and so I just I just finished it a couple of days ago yeah um and it's remarkable because I think so much of what you say that sort of invisibility not only of uh the black experience in white American eyes but it echoes so much of what Malcolm was saying in the 62 to, to about 65 uh, period of his public speeches where he was literally just saying one-to-one as a white person in America could you ever imagine the injustices uh, visited upon African Americans being visited upon you and you not having the response of picking up a gun mm-hmm. or not having the response of wanting to defend yourselves and the action the range of actions that are available to you as white America are simply put not available to us mm. you know this oppressed for 400 years oppressed uh, color of people um, which has no basis, right? Mm. It has absolutely no basis other than the oppression of the state. Um, and it's filtered into this racist kind of modality. So I just find it so interesting, and I love that you brought up Ellison as well, because it does feel incredibly poignant, just as you said, that I don't know if this narrative could have, even as a game, even removing ourselves from the fictive layer of Agent 47's experience, yeah. but we as cultural consumers and video game consumers... What would that game have looked like? And how would that game have sold itself mm-hmm. and its fictive layers should the protagonist have been anything other than Nordic track white? Because that whole, <laughs> he wasn't just white. He was like, yeah. he was translucent. Yeah. He was see-through white and crystal blue, like white devil eyes. Like, yes. like in the classic Malcolm sense. I mean it in the Malcolm yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, I just finished it. I, was I like, love it. It's, I love it. Up. But like, straight up, it's aesthetically the white devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is absolutely... Um, uh, a mass-produced whiteness to the point where there is a barcode tattooed to the back of his mm. head. So I really, I think you bring up a lot of really, yeah. really good points. Well, it's like the, uh, and the idea of the blank slate, you know, like, yeah. like he, he can only be a blank slate because of his assumed, um, because no one can attribute anything, attribute, or attribute anything to yeah. his ident- identity or his personality. So that, you know, when they see him, like, they know, they don't know what to expect until he tells them what to expect through his attire, through his mannerisms, 
and way of handling himself. We think about what whiteness on a, on a color spectrum level actually is. It's the absence of all color, mm. right? It's the absence of any substance, right? Yeah, I mean, like, it's the way that, you know, various cultures in American history and immigrant cultures throughout time, throughout our past 400 years, have um, uh, been able, been granted the mantle of whiteness, you know? Yeah. Irish weren't white, Italians weren't white, now they are. And that whiteness takes away... Um, any, I mean, it's an assimilation, but Absolutely. it also is a granting of, you know, not prejudging you, of, of, you know, waiting for you to tell people what you are, rather than be like, oh, you're, you know, you're that uh, immigrant class that I have these negative connotations about, I'm going to attach them to you. Which is also this, and, and I mean, the construct of whiteness, first mm-hmm. of all, because there's no such thing, right? Yes. There's no real such thing in the yeah. human race as a white a black, a red, or whatever. It's these are ethno-historic or historic aesthetic choices that had been made by specific societies that came to power. And I, I, me as a as a lover of, and you know, I read it frequently enough that I can see, even say like a student of Moby Dick mm-hmm. uh, as a piece of literature. There is a brilliant chapter in Moby Dick, one of the one of my favorite chapters called "The Whiteness of the Whale," mm-hmm. where uh, Melville takes a chapter in one of his like poetic pose verses where it's separate from the plot he's not actually describing any action or forward momentum he simply does a poetical treatise on how everybody in history got whiteness wrong Mm -hmm. and whiteness should not be considered uh, a symbol of purity power or grace it in fact is the most nightmarish hue (laughs) of anything and he brings up all of these incredible again poetical examples of how whiteness is pretty much the scariest thing you could ever imagine. Mm. From the pallid death tone of flesh that has been robbed of vitality to ghost you know, theories, theories of ghostness. And then, of course, albinism, albinism, like mm. being an albino and how it, in his way, touches on some base level a, uh, a fear of the, and not grotesqueness in the aesthetic sense, the grotesqueness of difference. Mm. The idea that al- a creature that is that has uh, that is an albino of its of its of its genetic family is even by its own uh, even the creatures of its own ilk is tends to be marginalized and tends mm. to be pushed out. So it's just it's interesting because it it all adds up to me as saying you know and I know we're like a few steps away from talking about Agent Forty Seven. But I think it absolutely guy, applies. But I think it does yeah. apply. I think what we're talking about here is a choice that largely European societies have made where whiteness is equated with power, access, uh, normalcy, Mm -hmm. um, status quo. Mm -hmm. And that is what allows Agent 47 to be helmet the the fashion model and also any doctor in any scenario. (laughs) And no one questions this this white dude walking around these environments. Mm. But damn right would there be any other shade and even in the political scenarios that they set up mm. were you a moroccan walking through the uh the swedish embassy mm-hmm. you'd be stopped at the door man yeah you know what i mean <laughs> like yeah. there are barriers of access that are are established and penetrated by 47s i think it's a i think it's a brilliant point yeah and i, I was thinking in terms of like what we've seen so far in terms of like the the black spy and assassin I haven't played it, but I mean to. Uh, Assassin's Creed Liberation. Oh, gosh, yeah. I've um, heard really good things about the story. Yeah. Not about the game, of course, but sure. the, the story itself. Yeah. But, you know, Evan Narcisse has written eloquently about how uh, like some, one of the few examples of, of, you know, of, of Haitian stories yeah. and Haitian history yeah. um, in games. But it's really interesting. I 
think it was Liberation with um, the woman who's yep. basically biracial and ex-slave and yep. um, she does don mantles of disguises yep. so she uh, has three options I think it's the, the bell the yeah, like the, put together the society lady yep you know where she could potentially be passing um, as white if she you know in, in the in the right circles mm-hmm. um, then there's like the more assassin garb I think where you're just meant to be hidden and then there's like the the, the more I guess slave centric garb I think yeah um, absolutely and just the like servant yeah, class or whatever yeah the servant class where you can potentially be seen as a servant but you wouldn't be let into the front door for example of like you know a, a mansion of, of a house in the same way that you know uh, uh, forty-seven can can wear the whatever garb totally. he wants and get in the front door. Yeah. So like, and it's the same with Mafia Three. Like, you know, Lincoln Clay can be the servant or the boxer in that one case, or is pretending to you know be a, a prize fighting boxer, which is definitely not to Invisible Man. No. In that in that, in that uh, game. No. But like, certainly yeah. Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. Yeah, but I mean, but I mean, specifically in Invisible Man that has oh, the, sorry, the sorry. scene about um where he basically is. He thinks he's going to a, a, a party to, to give a speech, but and the, they pay him to be smoker. a boxer. Yeah, yeah, the old smoker parties, yeah, yeah, where they kind of force people to fight. Yeah, black people specifically. Black, oh no, of course. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, like so, like those are the those are the this, the costumes, the disguises that he can wear. Um, of course, these are set in a slightly older time period, so I'm like interested in what you know uh, what we can see nowadays. You know, I'm playing uh, Watch Dogs Two, mm. uh, just starting it. So I don't have an opinion on that yet, but there are aspects of you being able to sneak into places. Um, in this case, you are powered by your cyber powers. <laughs> cyber <laughs> Cy- magic. Your cyber magic. So it's not as much <laughs> about disguises; it's more about kind of stealth and then, uh, you know, a little just more straightforward kind of hiding technocracy Te- and meritocracy yeah. versus. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. Silicon Valley is like as long as you know how to hack a computer. Exactly, you're one of us. You're equal in our eyes. <laughs> if you yeah. can raise two point three million in seed capital, you're one of us. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you just can't run the country. The no, company. no, no, no. Just, just company. yeah. Hold on. Come back in like a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one day. Maybe yeah. one day. But you know, it's funny because I, you know, of course, with everything that is built into my brain, uh, even as someone who's a first generation American, like I, I'm white, right? Like I pat, mm-hmm. like I come from. I'm Armenian, so I'm like slightly off white, but I'm white, right? Mm-hmm. Like the aesthetic. The only moments where um, Hitman or Agent Forty Seven's whiteness really aggressively assaulted me mm-hmm. were in the load screens mm. uh, when you first launched the game on the ps4 it's his like i see i'm gonna fucking murder you face mm. staring like straight on into the camera right into your face like through the screen and he's just like i'm the fucking hitman and for me like in america now you can't see a face like that and not think oh my god this is gonna be like a mass shooting like mm. he looks terrifying mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and whiteness is the color of mass shootings yeah. in america so, and it's know, the color that's also not seen. Exactly. But the thing that <laughs> fucked me source. up, actually, weirdly enough, and I think this has something to do... It's, it's like maybe a cousin to the, to the color issue that you brought up so poignantly, is uh, there was a bunch of audio whitewashing that was also going on. And oh, not yeah. just... not like I mean, yes, aesthetic whiteness, uh, but also just whitewashing as the term whitewashing. Because, you know, and I realize this might have to, more to do with, like, economy uh, of production mm-hmm. than some, you know, insidious choice or some old, you know, subtle racism that just exists in the characters that we create. But they really did a poor job with the voiceover. No, the, the voiceover actors that they hired did a great job. Yeah. Everyone delivered their lines really, really well. The localization. But, of... yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm walking through Morocco, and I'm hearing people <laughs> talking about, like, 
shit like Moroccan street level conversation mm-hmm. and those are the same voice actors that were active in Sapienza and in Paris they were white voices mm-hmm. or, or aesthetics basically they were non-ethnic voices yeah. they were completely generalized Western European or American voices and not only was it uh, a, a, a cheap and easy and kind of like it made the experience feel chintzy it actually sometimes got in the way of gameplay for me mm. because in a game that's again that aesthetically well realized in in um, environments that are trying so hard to be near realism I listened for audio cues and looked for those likenesses around me in the environment whose voice was that that was just speaking well fuck it I'll never know yeah. unless that person is right in front <laughs> yeah, of me yeah, yeah. I'll never know if that was the the waitress behind me or the old lady behind me mm-hmm. was it the Moroccan on the street behind me was it who the fuck was it because honestly they all sound like the same seven actors and that in a way not only got in the way of the fictive layer but it got in the way of the mechanics of my information gathering in an, mm. in an environment so it wasn't just d- culturally dangerous whitewashing it was actually functionally dangerous whitewashing yeah. that's really interesting it was definitely something I noticed as well and I'm very curious to know like what the uh, thought process was behind that because Cause it's so, so great well, yeah, because like there's so much attention to detail, yeah, like you said, in the levels and the design, the art assets, that it almost feels purposeful that it was so off. Yeah. Like, like, and is it because they were like, I don't want to get into hot water with uh, maybe like faking an accent? Yeah. Which, so stop making yeah, shitty fucking that would be bad. <laughs> choices in the vocal booth. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't be a caricature. Of a person but of color. And it is interesting. Hire yeah. a person of color and just yeah, tell them to uh, fucking deliver the lines. Well, it's like uh, with uh, the famous example of Leticia. From, I don't even want to. <laughs> yeah, from Deus Ex. You know, where it's oh, like, it was God. a it was like talented many, black was woman bad. who was yeah, no, but um, like the, the voice actor. Oh, but yeah, the direction itself it was, was so bad. Was um, criminal. It was criminal. <laughs> it was. Uh, <laughs> we should. We should yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I, mean, I really like the point you raised of that, of the fact that not only, not it wasn't necessarily that they were um, not of that culture but that they were specifically american and yeah. western european it's yeah. like the it's that assumption like well they can speak for everybody it's universal it is but it's obviously not it's not exactly <laughs> like what i mean what what i meant by but it yeah is, but it's is seen like the choice it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is so ingrained and this is coming from someone who whether i like it or not i was born and raised in america and mm-hmm. i will have certain prejudices mm-hmm. built into my experience and we all do like every human does already and again, I know I'm fresh reading, fresh off of reading Malcolm mm. X, but Always relevant. if the guy had lived, if he yeah. had not been shot down in the fucking street, he was at a point in his life after his Hajj to Mecca where he was like, I was wrong. It's not all white people are the devil. It's that in America there exists a condition that has created a virulent racism. Mm. Through 400 years of enslavement and, and oppression, the the surface level discrimination that we had experienced started weeding its way down and down and down to the layers and and this is me now speaking tabi now speaking i think it's i think it's it's readily apparent to me that you know after after x amount of years however however many years that however economically motivated however uh how, whatever the forces were that created slavery have grown into a genuine racism at this point because history and time have had their way with this because sure. we teach it as culture as tradition because of the entire farcical thumping of the confederate flag that we see every few years rear its ugly head it's like this is a, it's a part of our american culture and mm-hmm. i think that that just as you're saying like 
the assumptions that went into who was cast and why these voices are so Western and so white, it's not that it's so far beyond our comprehension that we can't solve it, but I think it's deep down. I think it's somewhere deep down that we just create these market products that are safe and safety is equated with, you know, whiteness mm. and, and, and that, that buyer, you know, the, the, the comfort of the white buyer. I, I don't, I just don't know how much longer this can last. Mm. You know, we know the demographic of video game shoppers has changed. Even before I left Atari, the writing was on the wall that women are in the game now. Women are buying games. Women are, are consuming games. Women are, are not just the woman who was the head of household who buys her kids video games at Walmart and Kmart, which we were so used to from the 1990s. This is a woman who is self-empowered and wants to be a video game player because they find value in that experience just like anybody else. Sure. People of color, absolutely the same goddamn thing. <laughs> Sean's points were incredible. There are cultural differences. Y'all got Madden, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a different mode of consumption, but these products are the same. I just don't know how much longer we, the games industry, can last serving such a narrow population's fantasy layer. I mean, I, I agree, and it's, it's definitely relevant to stuff like, you know, I Am Not Your Negro, which we mm-hmm. both watched, um, which does a really good job of exploring Hollywood's um, historical biases in terms of, like, basically creating a, creating a myth of, of race in yeah, America. the myth of race. Um, and it's something that, yeah, it's like, as a black viewer, you watch, and you, you watch these things, you absorb these things, you play the games, and you, you know, you are content to be disappointed you know you you have to um you have to take it on its terms because you're not the one making it right yeah like you know until that starts to shift a lot more dramatically um it's just going to be a tall order to ask for you know the dominant um culture to then and you know invert itself yeah exactly it's really asking it's really asking white people to you know just completely abandon all the privileges and and (laughs) Uh, contentment that their identity gives them. Yeah. Uh, and that's... To you know, make space yeah. consciously. Yeah. To surrender certain... To be vulnerable, amount, yeah. yeah. To surrender certain amounts of the privilege. I think that's the thing that scares most of the unbudgeable currently, like, white folk, mm-hmm. is this idea that... And, and we... I mean, you and I have explored this, like, just in our conversations, you know, even outside of the this podcast, where it's just like... And, and I've seen this conversation even luckily start to penetrate like the wider conversation where being pro-black being pro-anything non-white is not a teardown of whiteness Mm. it's just an expression of you know love or power or self-worth of whoever that people are that are expressing themselves but I don't know, maybe there's just such a and this is Malcolm again, I'm speaking through he's speaking through me, whatever, just having finished the book, it's like Maybe there's just a really, really, really deep psychosis that is set in to white America, oh, yeah. where it knows its guilt. I mean, I think it is down. like you know, we ha- like we were talking about Michael Che, like yeah, the idea of, of even saying Black Lives Mattering is socially controversial. It's like you are saying a life matters, but yeah. then you know the psychosis of whiteness then says, "What do you mean? Uh, uh, I, have to, I have to take ten percent off of my own like you know uh, being, my yeah. own identity to then make room." Yeah. It's the idea that Um, someone can't see around their own narcissism. Because honestly, I think so many conspiracy theories, 
so many um, grand sweeping statements, even like the one that I'm making right now, <laughs> come from uh, a worldview that has itself at the center. Mm. You know, and I think that for people who come from the power structure, it's very difficult to gain enough perspective to see that you are actually far from it. Mm. That you are far from the center of the universe. That you are far from the pinnacle of the power structure. However white I am perceived to be when I walk through the streets of New York, however safe I may feel, relatively safe uh, I may feel around cops or to walk into any establishment and just feel like I'm, I belong, those are are not universal values. Mm. I am not safe. Mm. I am not immediately accepted. I am always in danger. But the mythos of race and the mythos of power have given me this pithy imaginative layer in my everyday life where I'm basically the Agent 47 of my own imagination. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go over there and I'm going to ask for this thing. And And then, you know, Hitman reifies that by, you know, creating the simulation where you um, you can be safe. If you wear the right attire, you know, pull your pants up. <laughs> pull your pants. Oh God! Oh, you know, you 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 can. Well said, sir. Yeah, the idea that you can blend in and and fit in this in whatever society you want, whatever country around the world you want, and like that's that universe universality, that false universality that um, the game relies on, and you know, every game does. So you damn. know, <laughs> damn. Well, I think on that amazing note i want to let you have the last word on this one that's fair yeah it's really rad man thank you guys all so much for listening uh this has been the video game hour as always we want to thank old school at old school brian on uh, twitter on twitter for the awesome intro song yep we'll uh we'll be back soon with another episode that's right another good thing thanks all so much for listening